In 2 Samuel 19, we see the king restored, King David restored to the throne, but not without grief and not without the aftermath of consequences. Today, our special guest speaker, we affectionately know him as Coach. It's Pastor Chris Van Hook. He'll teach on the restoration of King David, 2 Samuel 19, today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. We're going to continue in our study in 2 Samuel, and the the name of the message this morning is The King Restored. And as we move into this chapter 19, let's just take a quick look back at what has taken place in the recent studies that we've been doing You remember that David, King David, had been in exile. His throne had been claimed by his rebellious son, Absalom. And in his betrayal, Absalom had swayed Israel and even some of what is known as Judah, some of the followers of David, into his camp. But this rebellion really only lasted for a short while. And as we read, Absalom's army was defeated by David's and Absalom is killed. We ended last week with David's mourning over that death in chapter 18, verse 33. It said, the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now, it is interesting that David should mourn so much over this son who had rebelled against him. Absalom had, as we know, had done despicable things. He'd ultimately usurped the throne itself, or at least it appeared that way. And he was so rebellious that he even wanted his father dead. So why then would David be so grieved over the loss of this this son? And I think there is a few reasons we could we could come to. The first one is that I think David really felt guilt over his poor job of parenting. You know, David was a great king, but David was not a good father. He was not engaged with his family and The relationships between his children, they were pretty bad. If you remember, Absalom really began his rebellion when the rape of one of his sisters occurred. And I'm sure he was waiting for his father, David, to do something, and David did nothing. So ultimately, then Absalom took matters into his own hands, and he ordered the death of his half-brother, And I think as David watched the actions of his son, he probably began to see his own sin, the things that he had done, thinking back of ordering the death of Uriah the Hittite. And I think he took much of the blame for what Absalom had done, realizing that he had lacked in his job as a parent. And I think, too, David most likely believed that he would not see Absalom again because he knew that Absalom really didn't have faith in God. Do you remember that 
David's son, by way of his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, remember he got sick and he, and he died. And it was interesting because David mourned the child while the child was sick. But when the boy died, David stopped his mourning and people were puzzled and they asked him about it. And in 2 Samuel 12, 22 and 23, David said this. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? But here's the key verse. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. You see, David was absolutely certain that he was going to see his son again in heaven. I will go to him. But I don't believe he was certain at all about Absalom. I think he felt Absalom had no relationship with God. Therefore, he would not be seeing him again. And it caused him to mourn greatly. I think the third thing is, and I think we can all relate to this. Look, you as parents, no matter what your child does, you still love your child. And I know that many of us can relate to having a rebellious child, one who's gone off the rails, and we've agonized and, and worried and prayed. And I think all of us can relate to David in this way. And if something like this happened to our child, even though they may have caused it by their own rebellion, like Absalom did, we would still mourn. We would still be sorrowful. Well, there's a result of David's mourning in uh, 2 Samuel 19.1. We want to look at that. Joab was told, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day, the victory in battle that they had, the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it, said that day, the king is grieved for his son. Now notice this in verse three, and it says, and the people stole back into the city that day as people who were ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. In other words, he's saying the people came back into town as though they had been fleeing from the battle, as though they were cowards and traitors. They were ashamed. Verse four, but the king covered his face and the king cried out with a loud voice, oh, my son, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So we see here that David's mourning had a very negative impact on the people who were loyal to him and even fought for his cause. And you might think, well, that's not fair. It was still David's child. He needed to mourn. And it may be true that, that David did, but I think we need to realize, and I think a lesson for us to realize is that, you know, leaders, especially leaders that are in such high places, such high levels of responsibility, they have responsibilities that you and I may not have. And in David's case, everything he did affected all of the people of Israel and Judah. And a person with that kind of responsibility doesn't always get the, the privilege of having a pri private time to grieve like maybe you and I do. Because in this situation here, what should have been an opportunity for these people to rejoice 
and to celebrate those who had fought for David's cause. Instead, it turns into a day of fear and shame and confusion for them. You know, though grief is necessary, David was actually letting all of his supporters down here. He was really only thinking of himself at this point. Well, that doesn't last long because along comes Joab, as we read in verse five and six here. It says, then Joab came into the house to the king and said, today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. (laughs) Wow. I mean, yeah. Joab was tough on David here, wasn't he? He laid this thing on him and he held nothing back. Now, it certainly wasn't true that David would have been pleased if his loyal soldiers had died and Absalom had lived. That would not have pleased David. But you know what? Joab says, I perceived. See, that's the way it seemed to Joab. It seemed like David really cared more about Absalom than he did all the people who were loyal to him. But David had really just said that he himself would rather be dead than his son. And I don't believe for one minute that he would have been happy had all his soldiers been killed and Absalom lived. But you know, when you think about it, even that kind of thinking on David's part was really being very selfish. Because think about the fact that if David had died and Absalom had lived, then Israel would have been in the hands of an ungodly leader, one who had no faith in God whatsoever, one who had become king under false pretenses. That would not have been good for Israel. So David was thinking of David here in his own grief. He was not thinking of Israel. But you know, it's interesting, and and maybe you're in that period of grieving or mourning today. I know we have people in this congregation who are. And you know, I've been around grieving people long enough to know that when people are grieving, they say many things that may seem strange maybe even inappropriate at the time. That's just part of the beginning stages of grief. And and I will just tell you that most of the time, if that happens and, and, and you're with them, you're their friend, just listen to them. You don't need to respond to him or her. Just listen. You know, what Joab was doing here, we could look at this and say, Okay, this is a biblical principle here. You know, when someone's in grieving, just go knock them out like Joab did here. Lay it on them. Tell them, get over it. But that's not really true in this case. This was a special circumstance. This is for a king, one who is responsible for all these other people. And, and uh, Joab did need to say it to David, but this is not a recommendation for any of you if you know someone that's grieving to go and do the same thing for them. But again, in this case, because of David's position, he needed to hear how his behavior was affecting all of his followers. He was too busy thinking of himself at this point in time. 
Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. Hey, I want to tell you something that's exciting happening here at the church. We have a college that we've started. We offer a two-year diploma in Christian apologetics and theology. We have two exciting classes coming up with great instructors. It's Hidden Riches of Church History from the Resurrection to the Reformation. And we have a class on Christian philosophy. How do we know what truth is? We're going to look at epistemology and some other subjects like that. Are you a working adult? Have you just graduated from high school and looking to go deeper in your faith? The tuition is very low and the instruction is excellent. And the classes start in July. Are you interested? Do you want to go deeper in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to give answers for the hope that you have in the public square? Well, check it out today. It's thetruthacademy.com, thetruthacademy.com. Sign up today, find out all the information, and get equipped. God bless you. A king, one who is responsible for all these other people. And, and uh, Joab did need to say it to David, but this is not a recommendation for any of you, if you know someone that's grieving, to go and do the same thing for them. But again, in this case, because of David's position, he needed to hear how his behavior was affecting all of his followers. He was too busy thinking of himself at this point in time. You know, they really deserved better from him than what they were getting. They had followed him loyally. Now, it's good here to see, though, that Joab, he sees that David doesn't just need to be rebuked and just shake him out of his doldrum, so to speak. But he also sees that he needs counsel on what to do and how to proceed here. And then you look at it in this case, you would say, well, Joab seems to be acting as a true friend to David here. But I think we'll see that may not be his true motivation. He may actually have just been trying to secure his place in the inner circle of David. And we'll see later on that Joab does not accomplish that purpose. But I want you to see here that he doesn't just complain to David. He gives him a solution. And that's in verse 7. He says, now, therefore, arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants. That's a pretty tough request in David's situation here, isn't it? Speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has been fallen you from your youth until now. Joab's saying, look, if you don't go out and do this, you're going to lose all your supporters. They're not going to continue to follow you. And I think Joab's counsel is very sound here. He needs to bring David back into reality of the situation if David is going to be restored as the king. And you'll notice in verse 8 here how David responds to Joab's counsel. It says, Then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told all the people, saying, there is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king. For every one of Israel had fled to his tent. So you can see what happened. They stole away. They were ashamed. But then they heard that David was sitting at the gate. This is a common practice here so that he could communicate to the people. So here's David. And he comes to the gate and the word gets out that he is sitting at the gate ready to comfort and speak to his people. You know, I find it interesting here how the people of Israel always seem to need the presence of a king. Do you remember when they first desired a king? 
And do you remember why it was that they wanted a human king rather than just the judges who had been leading them? Do you guys remember that? It's back in 1 Samuel 8.20. You can go back and read that. But basically what they were saying is we want a king because we want to be like other nations. God, through Samuel the prophet, had told them, hey, here's how your life's going to be if you choose a human king. This is what it's going to be like. And as you read that, or if you remember, you realize that it wasn't a pretty sight that Samuel laid out. And yet they didn't listen as God knew they wouldn't. They wanted a human king to be like other nations. So God gave them Saul and Saul was a disaster as a king. All the things that Samuel said were going to happen are things that did happen. But just as happened so often under Moses, the Israelites just didn't get it. They had been chosen by God to be a nation governed by him directly and to look to him directly for their guidance and for their leadership. And by thus doing that, they would show the rest of the world who God was. They were to be a nation, truly one nation under God, governed and ruled by him so that the rest of the world could see what it would be like. They would be the, the light, the shining example to the world of how it is to be ruled and governed by God. But instead of looking to the Lord for their leadership, they would continually look to an imperfect human being for their guidance, to be their king. And David, though David was a very good king, maybe a great king, he was still an imperfect human being. Well, let's continue in verse nine here. It says, now all the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying the king, meaning David, saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, has died in the battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? So Israel, and here in this place right here, Israel meaning those who had supported and followed Absalom, they were confused. You know, they thought that following Absalom was going to put them on the winning side and that he was going to be their king. Now they don't know what to do because David had not returned from exile yet, even though the battle was finished. And nobody really understood why David had not just marched right back in to Israel as the conquering king. They were confused. I think they were thinking, okay, this guy Absalom, who we'd put all our hope and all our trust in and followed him, he's dead. And David's not here. What do we do now? Bible commentator Alan Redpath puts it this way. The folly of their allegiance to Absalom was clear. It had brought only misery and confusion. They were on the wrong side. They had rejected their true king. And therefore, the situation was full of unrest. And I think he hits it right on the head. But the restoration process is going to begin as we move on to verse 11. So King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? 
since the words of all Israel have come to the king to this very house. You are my brethren. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring the king back? It's interesting that David goes to the priests. You never see the bad kings go to the priests except when they're trying to manipulate him. But he's trying to ask them this question here. You see, David is not gonna force his way back into the reign over Israel. It's gonna be at their request. But he is questioning their lack of quick action in wanting to bring David back to his throne. You see, David, by proclamation of God, is and always was their true king. But David wants it to be more than just by law and by decree. David wants to be the king of their hearts as well. And that is why he waited. In verse 13, it says, And say to Amasa, Are you not my bone and flesh? God do so to me, and more also, if you are not commander of the army before me continually in place of Joab. Wow. This is a bold political move that David makes right here. Joab was the commander of his army. Amasa was the commander of the enemy's army, of Absalom's army. And it's interesting that both of them are nephews of David. But David replaces Joab now with Amasa, and I think this must have been a real shock to Joab. Remember I said, I think Joab's motivation was, hey, I want to make sure I cement my place in David's administration here. And now all of a sudden he's out and Amasa is in. Now, why would David do this? Why would he take one of the enemy's commanders and replace his own commander? Well, commentators have some differing views on this, to be honest with you. Um, but I think that David was thinking of, of several issues. One, I think he was thinking, how can I bring the people who had been following Absalom, how can I bring them back into my camp? What could I do? What, can I, what olive branch can I hand out here to bring these people back into the camp here? And I think he figured that that was one way he could do it. The second thing is I'm not sure that David really trusted Joab to really have David's interests and Israel's interest, best interest in mind. And why do I say that? Well, remember, um, in the last chapter, remember that David had, been, had given Joab specific instructions about Absalom. Do you remember that? With two other commanders, he said, look, I want you to go easy on Absalom here. In other words, he's saying, I don't want Absalom killed. And I think he was holding Joab responsible. Now, we don't know for sure that David knew that Joab had killed Absalom, but I believe it's, it's quite likely that he did. It isn't recorded to us, but you remember the story of the runners coming back. And I think it's highly unlikely that somewhere along the line, David did, did not learn that Joab had actually been the one to kill Absalom. At any rate, he at least knew that Joab had not protected Absalom when he had the opportunity to. And I think thirdly that, that David thought Joab would certainly not be supportive of the policies he was going to, to bring into play now, the thoughts that he had in bringing the kingdom back together. I, I think he understood Joab is really, he's a man who is very willing to take revenge. He proved that 
with Absalom, but at other times as well. And David didn't want to go in that direction. His heart was not for revenge. His heart was for reconciliation. So David makes this decision to replace Joab, even at the risk of making Joab an enemy. But I want you to look at the result of this decision in verse 14. It says in verse 14, so he, David, swayed the hearts of all of the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man. In other words, immediately there began this unification. All of the hearts became as one man so that they sent this word to the king. Return you and all your servants. Remember in that last statement, he goes, why is there this lack of of quick action here? And now he says, it says in verse 14, the people said, return, you and all your servants. You see this move that David had made. They began to see that David was not wanting revenge, that David wanted unification. He wanted reconciliation. David was already starting in this one little incident to unify the people of Israel once again. And in verse 15, it says, then the king returned and came to the Jordan and Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. So now here comes David. He crosses back over the Jordan into Israel with all his loyal followers from Judah and also from the tribe of Benjamin. And in verse 16, it says, and Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite who was from Bahurim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul and his 15 sons and 20 servants with him. And they went over the Jordan before the king. Verse 18, then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. Now Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Then he said to the king, do not let my Lord impute iniquity to me or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my Lord, the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. Hey, I want to tell you something that's exciting happening here at the church. We have a college that we've started. We offer a two-year diploma in Christian apologetics and theology. We have two exciting classes coming up with great instructors. It's Hidden Riches of Church History from the Resurrection to the Reformation. And we have a class on Christian philosophy. How do we know what truth is? We're going to look at epistemology and some other subjects like that. Are you a working adult? Have you just graduated from high school and looking to go deeper in your faith? The tuition is very low and the instruction is excellent. And the classes start in July. Are you interested? Do you want to go deeper in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to give answers for the hope that you have in the public square? Well, check it out today. It's thetruthacademy.com, thetruthacademy.com. Sign up today, find out all the information, and get equipped. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.